that feeling of being a fraud, of doubting our abilities, or thinking that we don't deserve the success that we've earned. It might manifest itself in thoughts and feelings like, I don't deserve to be here. I'm a fraud and going to get caught out. I'm not good enough for this, for that. What am I doing here? I don't belong. Might be the kind of things that we hear each other, hear, hear, hear us say to each other. But most of us can see your competence and successes. So what really puzzles me is why can't you? So psychological syndrome impacts both men and women. So that's why I'm really pleased to see men and women coming to these kind of calls. And we're making this the theme of the week, imposter syndrome. I don't think this would ever go away, but if we talk about it, I think we can normalize it. For those who do not know me, I'm Gwen Wilcox. I'm the CEO of Armstrong Wolf. Welcome to our audience. Our audience is really spanning across the whole of Asia and EMEA, which is really good to see. Thank you for taking the time also, end of your day on a Monday or early morning here in the UK and across whatever time it is in your region. And welcome to, to you, Jean. Welcome to Jean Balfour. Um, you are a master certified coach. Delighted to have you on board um, for our session today. So I'm aware you might all be spinning a few plates at this time of day, and you're also on this call. So I can only suggest that you spend the next 60 minutes by being fully present. We have a, full, a few mental exercises for you. So if you can keep your videos on and your sound off, um, that would be great. There's also the chat for those of you who can use it. We will be taking questions throughout the session if you wish to have questions and ask questions to G. Um, and I would re highly recommend that you do that. <clears throat> So um, we'll get going. I'll leave it open to you now, Jean, to introduce yourself to this audience. Thank you for being here. Thank you for pitching up on a Monday morning. Over to you. Great. Thanks, Gwen. And hi, everybody. It's really great to be here with you today. Uh, I'm actually coming to you today from the far north of Scotland because I'm visiting my parents. So for those of you who are in the UK, I'm an out an hour's drive north of Inverness. I'm normally based in Singapore. So uh, so this is the, the joy of this technology is that I can be with you today. This topic that we're going to talk about today is, is a subject that's really close to my heart. It's been something that I've worked on personally. And much of what I'm going to cover today comes out of my own experience and the learning that I've had on this journey. The, the other thing, of course, is that I'm working as an executive coach and I coach a lot of uh, senior leaders, senior MDs in people like you in organisations uh, like yours. So some of the organisations I work with, I know people are represented on this call today. And I've learned to ask everyone about imposter syndrome and confidence, because when I ask the question, people start talking about it because it's part of our human condition. It's something that we all struggle with to one extent or another. Some of us struggle more with it than others. But what I'm going to do today is share with you some really practical strategies about how we can begin to look at it differently and how we can see how much it is a part of our human condition. It's, there's no shame to be held about this. It's just something that we were programmed for, but actually we can live differently with it. As Gwen said, it'd be great if you have any questions or anything to put them in the chat, any comments. We will do some interactive 
exercises um, that would involve you just quietly at your desks or wherever you are today, but uh, really encourage you to go on a journey of thinking about how you, you too can think about growing your own confidence. So, um, uh, so let me just start with this uh, quote from Nelson Mandela, who said, do not, uh, sorry, I just need to move something on my screen. There we are. Do not judge me by my success, but judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. And I really love this as a kind of starting point for us in this, because the, the thing about struggling with ourselves, struggling with our imposter syndrome or our confidence is that it is really about us learning it, seeing it, noticing it, and then just getting up time and time and time again until things become more natural and easier and we can deal with them in a different way. So um, we're just going to start by thinking into the chat. And what I'd like you to do is think to yourself about a time when your confidence wasn't great and think about what impact that has on you. And if you feel open to doing this, nobody is obliged to do this. If you wouldn't mind thinking about what are the words that would describe the impact it has on you when you're feeling that low confidence. And if you, if you could type a couple of words into the chat, but as I've said, please don't feel obliged to do any of these exercises in the chat. So, you know, what is it like? What, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? How is it impacting your actions when you're struggling with that point of maybe having a bit of low confidence or perhaps that imposter syndrome voice is very loud and clear in your head? Um, I, I know for me, it's uh, it really slows me down because I find myself a bit distracted. I find myself constantly pulled on to these what if questions. Uh, what if this? What if this? A client said to me just last week that she she notices the what if questions constantly holding her back. She's a senior lawyer uh, with a, a national role in her country, and yet she's got these questions holding her back. Um, okay, so I, I can't see anything in the chat, so let's just keep moving on here. Okay, so somebody's typed in, whatever I do is not good enough, not recognised, and I have my no motivation. Yeah, so those are that's big stuff. Thank you for sharing that, because it's that feeling of, oh, I can't get going, or not belonging or not being worthy. Yes, that really does impact us. And if we're uh, feeling slightly on the outside of a group, actually that increases that sense of worthiness so things opportunities pass you by we've got people feeling undermined and weak uh, i feel like i'm in the wrong job i shouldn't be here yep so it's it's all of those things in fact i was once in a group with senior senior leaders and we asked everybody to close their eyes and um and asked people who thought that they were in the wrong job or were going to be found out at some point to put their hands up and two thirds of the room put their hands up when they didn't think other people were looking. So it's it's kind of pervasive, this sense. Yes, yeah, somebody's cat saying somebody's going to suss me out soon. OK, what about when your confidence, oops, sorry, what about when your confidence is high, when you're actually thinking and feeling pretty good about yourself or you're not even noticing it, actually? I know for me that when I'm not thinking about worrying about those things. I don't even almost notice where my confidence is. So for me, it kind of gives me that sense of I'm in a bit in flow. I know I can just keep going with things. I'm not second guessing myself. Yeah, somebody's used the word flow. Thanks, that natural buzzing. 
that kind of sense of I can do this, I've got this. And when it's kind of genuine confidence, it's not that we feel invincible, but it's just that we know we can be ourselves, we can be authentic, and we can really keep going. Yes, so being empowered and efficient and engaging is is certainly there. It's that kind of sense of all of that. So so what we want to do, I believe, is to get better at noticing when our confidence is low and find strategies to shift it, to change it, to quieten the voices that are going on. And thank you. Somebody said that uh, it's so rewarding to do my job. It makes me happy. Yeah, when we're in that state, that's a really great place to be. So let's let's have a look at how we can do this and what's the impact. So I actually want to go back to the neuroscience. We'll start with the neuroscience on this. So as you will probably know, because we understand a lot more about neuroscience now, and we're talking a lot about it, as we were developing in humans, and particularly as our brains were developing, our key job was to keep us safe. And in fact, our brains haven't evolved much from that. Our brain's number one job is to keep us safe, to stop us from dying and to stop us from experiencing pain. Because when we were evolving, of course, the human race was needing to, to grow, to be strong. And so because of that, the brain evolved to be constantly looking out for what could go wrong. And it became what we might describe as a problem-solving machine to say, okay, that could go wrong and that could go wrong and that could go wrong. Now, when we were at risk of being uh, having physical harm or maybe not having enough food or uh, maybe the elements would get to us, you know, that was good. But actually now we're in a society where, where there are obviously a lot of things that are concerning us, but the problem is that we turn them over and over and over because we look at something and think, well, that could happen and then that could happen and then that could happen. And our brains are just doing this. They're just doing it all the time. That's it's um, The researchers and psychologists tell us it's probably not going to stop. It's part of the human condition and it's part of what evolved to be good for us, but in our modern world actually can be a bit of a problem. The other thing that's going on is that when things did then happen, maybe we were attacked by a bear or something happened, um, we uh, we then needed to learn how to not be in that situation again, assuming we survived. And so we learned to play things over and say, what can I learn here? What was it that happened here that I can learn from? And we the problem with that, of course, is that now we have this thing where if a tiny thing goes wrong, we can often overplay it. So you can say something in a meeting and then feel like perhaps you shouldn't have said it or uh, you regret it or somebody reacted a bit strangely to it. And then you play it or I play it over and over and over in my mind. And of course, again, this was something that served us as we were evolving, but doesn't serve us now. And then the, the third part of this um, is that because we were in small groups during this time, it was actually important that we we remained liked and welcomed by the group because to be ejected from the group actually made us unsafe. And so we needed to behave in a way that kept us aligned with the group. And this is a fundamental one because, of course, this is what kicks in when you're worried in an organization about does so-and-so like me or are they going to, is, the, is this working and of course with our social media age we're kicked into this all the time do i belong do i fit in am i in the right place so all of these things are affecting us and are part of our human condition 
designed to keep us safe and well so that we could um, evolve as the human race, but all of them actually causing us some problems in our current time. So the, the other part of the story is that when we experienced those things in the past, we would hit fight, flight or freeze, uh, or there's a bit of talk about fawn, which is a new understanding of this, which is where we have uh, a quick rush to keep us safe, to get us out of danger. So we, of course, our heart rate goes up so we can run or we can freeze and stay safe and still. And when that happens, basically our whole system goes into um, survival and these things happen. We forget things because we don't need to remember things. We need to be in the present moment. Our energy is low because it's only focused on what we're doing and these other things happen. Now, the, the, the neuroscientists tell us that if we are in flight, fight or freeze for 90 seconds, no problem. That that 90 seconds is fine and then we should get back into equilibrium. The problem is that in our modern world, we're in this state a lot. And so we become increasingly irritable, we lose empathy. And when we're in that state, we also begin to doubt ourselves more and we can't function as well. So somebody said earlier that motivation drops when we're in this kind of anxious state. And of course it does because of that. So what we want to do is to find ways to get back into rest and digest to our body is in a calm state where we're able to think where we're in the flow, where we're able to do what it is that we can do. So what I want to do with you today is actually to share with you some strategies to help us to learn to notice when we're out of kilter, when we're in those kind of low confidence moves, and to think about how we can move forward. Um, and so part of the noticing is just being really aware of when this stuff is happening. So I've described to you what the triggers might be when we were evolving, but actually we understand now that there are so many different triggers that can cause us to go into that state. And you can see them here being excluded, feeling out of the group, feeling a lack of respect, um, lack of autonomy, lack of status, feeling incompetent, all of those things linked to imposter syndrome and self-doubt and negative self-talk and comparison. So I hope you can see now that all of these things are interconnected and that our job is to begin to notice what's happening to notice and see what it is and to begin to move things forward somebody's asked the question can we use nlp that's neurolinguistic programming to increase the positive mindset so i'm i'm not trained in neurolinguistic programming but there are lots of features in within neurolinguistic programming that are about helping us to think about noticing our thoughts and thinking about dealing with them in a different way so uh, Gwen said at the beginning that there are some things around imposter syndrome and the, the thing that comes up for it. And these are some of the things that I hear from clients. Um, you know, somebody will say, well, it's just a question of time till I'm going to be found out or I, you know, I'm lucky or this question of what gives me the right to be here. Somebody else should be in this job um, or I'm afraid that people will discover things or other people can do this job and so on and so on. And I hear these from clients all the time. This kind of question that I got lucky. I mean, I, I had a coaching client once who looked back at her career. She was a senior director and she said, oh, I was lucky there. I got that job. I was lucky there. I didn't deserve that job. Oh, that was really nothing. Well, you know, nobody gets to be a senior director or an MD on luck alone. There must be some skill and talent. It's just that our minds are telling us this stuff. 
So, okay, so what can we do about it? Well, first of all, this lovely quote from Dr. Rick Hansen, who says the brain is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive experiences. So basically, because of this, this understanding of neuroscience, our brains have, we have an experience, something didn't go well, maybe something happened, uh, we made a mistake or we said something in a meeting that our boss didn't like, we remember it. But we get a compliment, we like let it slip off us. We don't remember, we don't hold on to it. And so we need to begin to learn to think, how can we let go of the negative experiences more quickly? How can we hold on to the positive experiences more effectively? So let's just see, I wonder if anybody's willing just to type into the chat, how many times do you find yourself doubting yourself? Now you won't, you won't obviously be counting this, but have a think where you are. So, um, so let me just uh, tell you for me, in my journey, certainly a few years ago before I did a lot of this work on myself, I would be somewhere between the once an hour and a few times an hour sometimes of thinking, can I do this? Am I capable? I won't be able to do it or worrying about it. And uh, I'm really happy to say I'm not at never, but I'm definitely down to about once, between once a day and a couple of times a day now. So that was my goal. Yeah, so I can see, thanks for typing that in people. So I can see uh, some people are saying once a day, once now, a couple of times a day. Yeah, frequently like a pendulum. That's a great way of thinking about it because we, you know, we can swing from feeling really good and confident and the next minute we're like second guessing, can I do this? Is it happening? Am I any good at it? So, so really, yeah, it's, it's true for all of us. Now, there, there are some people, I, I do want to say that who really, because perhaps of having very healthy childhood experiences or perhaps because there's some genetic evidence that some of us are more uh, programmed actually to have more negative thinking that there are and so therefore some are more programmed to be slightly more positive there are some who naturally live in a world where it's never or once a day but my experience is that certainly with the people i work with it's more likely to be minimum once a day for most people so i'm um, just looking yeah thank you for everybody who shared it yeah so it really does depend of course it also depends on our energy on uh, how much sleep we've had on whether we're coming up to a holiday whether we're working on a big project it's it's all of that so what do we mean by self-confidence well actually if we go back to the latin um it comes back to trusting in ourselves and i love this this is such a great place to start is it is it about believing that I can do something and that I trust my abilities to do it. Because when we feel like that, we are able to take on new challenges and take responsibility. Curiously, we're also better able to learn through failure. So when we make mistakes, because we see mistakes in the whole, we see something that didn't go well, um, we say, okay, here's a lesson. Whereas when our confidence is low, we tend to just churn over it and, and kind of pick over it in that space. So I'm going to just do a quick uh, visualization here. So you'll, you'll be sitting in various places. So you may or may not choose to close your eyes. You may just want to sit comfortably. But I'd like to take you on a bit of a journey and um, imagine that you are, we're going to imagine that we're really full of confidence. So just bear with me and, and come with me on this journey. So if you just sit still and settle into yourself and um, get comfortable. And you can, as I said, close your eyes or keep your eyes open. And I'd like you to imagine yourself somewhere you really love to be. 
So this might be for you looking at a nice view or maybe in front of a warm fire. It might be walking on a beach or in a forest or maybe some gardens, somewhere that you feel kind of calm and centered. And as you're doing that, you notice as you look at yourself that you're really feeling confidence, a good, fully confident day. You, you see that you feel capable and whole. You're able to observe your strengths and see what they are and feel good about using them wisely and well. You see yourself as a confident person. You, can't, you know you can describe this. So as you lean into this feeling of being confident, what sort of things would you do? And how would they be different from now? How would you treat yourself differently? What would you change in your working life? What might you change in your personal life? How might you talk to yourself? What would you notice about the words that you use for yourself? And what bold goals would you set? Both for yourself and for the part of the organisation you live and work in. As you think about yourself feeling into your confident self, what impact would this have on the people around you, the people you work with, the people you love? And what impact would your confident self have on the wider community and on the world? Okay, so just in, encourage you just to jot down anything you noticed about that, to notice as you lean in to feeling that confident side of you, which we all have, what came up for you? What were the kind of things that you might do differently, the bold measures you might take, the experiences that you might engage in, that we might engage in, if you're feeling into your confidence? So. No, no need to share if anyone wants to share anything what they noticed in the chat that would be lovely but but just notice that feel it so we are all capable of accessing that more often and i'm going to share with you now some strategies that i use to help me to access that more often to help me to kind of get into that because i i really do believe that this idea that when when i'm feeling unsure of myself i stay in my comfort zone but actually where i want to be is really where the magic happens both for the people i lead for my business for myself for my life for my family and that being bold requires us to feel that confidence okay so what can we do about this so just to uh, share a little bit of a story of myself as I said, uh, self-confidence and certainly imposter syndrome was something that I have uh, struggled with really, really badly. Now, it's a bit of a problem because my job has been forever standing in front of groups, presenting, facilitating, doing this kind of thing. But it would always come with 
lots of anxiety before it, a lot of anxiety while it was happening, and then lots of post-event, you know, churning over why did I do that, why did I do that. Now, I may be a bit foolish, I carried on doing it, but it was always a struggle for me. So about uh, 15 years ago, I decided I wanted to shift this, and so I started doing a lot of reading around it, and it's and doing a lot of exercises, um, working with a psychologist, doing all the things that I'm going to, well, some of the things I'm going to share you today. So what I noticed over that period is that it's not a one minute change. So it's taken me a while. Um, it's certainly sped up over the past, last few years because we've learned a lot about so, and the strategies I'm going to teach you today are sort of at the latest end of what we've learned about how to build confidence, but it does keep growing. So as I go through these things, I guess I want to encourage you to think about your own uh, journey on this and look for small wins. Look for moments where you moved it, you shifted it, because it's really hard to notice, <laughs> sort of, but it happens. And if you keep working on it, actually over time, you'll begin to see and feel that. So for me, I called it a bit Project Gene because uh, I because I knew that if I was go I wanted to do it, I had to keep working on it. And there's a great question actually in the chat: How do we how do we know if confidence is seen as a bit more like cockiness? So for me, confidence has a sort of inner sense of self assurance. So when I'm feeling confident. Actually, I might actually speak less in meetings, for example, because I don't feel I need to overcompensate for my feeling of lacking, feeling uncertain. So I, I think that for me, confidence is actually feeling centered and grounded and making decisions about how I enter into the world in a way that doesn't feel cocky. It just feels, oh, okay, I know this. And it comes out of a kind of grounded, centered part of me that I believe doesn't come across as cocky. I know, I know when I can come across as sort of overconfident, it's usually coming out of a feeling of insecurity, actually. I think more often when I'm in that space, it's because I'm feeling insecure. When I'm feeling really confident, I think I come across as uh, capable and and that's that's how we want people to see. But it's the question is where often people will say, ask this question is because we have this anxiety that if we don't if we become too confident, people will see us as arrogant or uh, overcompensating for something. So it's, it's a really great question. So what we want to do in this is to know that we're, we're all in boats in the sea and sometimes it's calm and it's easy sailing and sometimes it's stormy. So these strategies are all about helping us when it's stormy to work out what we can do to deal with it. So when it's stormy, our brains kick into fight, flight, freeze, or whatever it is. And we need to learn strategies to calm, come back to center, come back to grounding. So um, the first stage of this might sound a bit counterintuitive, and that is that we can't change what we don't notice. So what I've learned is that I can often be caught up in a really negative thinking cycle of I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, and I haven't been aware of it. And I suddenly think, well, I'm feeling really drained or my motivation's gone through the floor. And what I've learned is to think, what have I been thinking? And I'll and then I'll realize that at the back of my brain, there's been a uh, a sort of ongoing question, self-doubt thinking that I wasn't even aware of. It's like happening either in my subconscious or in my semi-conscious. So the first 
this of making this change is to learn to notice it and and notice it with compassion and say ah oh, look there's that there's that voice in my head again that tells me i'm i shouldn't be in this job to learn to notice it because then we can put these strategies in place and the first of the strategies for me is about unhooking so we can do this exercise now so i'd like to invite you to find a pen or a piece of paper and just hold it out in front of you just hold it there while i'm talking so as you hold the pen or the paper out in front of you hold it quite tightly keep your arms tight just notice what's going on um, notice what's happening probably like me you're becoming increasingly aware of the pen for me i'm holding the pen i'm noticing it it's becoming a bit kind of front of mind keep holding it see what you're noticing okay now just put it down put the pen down on your lap or on the table where you are and then just notice what's happening so basically what's what this is saying is that when we caught the grip of these thoughts it's like holding the pen and we lose just we lose our ability to see what's going on around us because we're caught up in this thought so what we want to do is to learn strategies that the thought doesn't go away but we could strategies for us to put the thought down to stop it having the impact that it's having on us and these are the types of thoughts that might be doing that they're things like this might happen or no one in my family ever did this or I'm hopeless or people will judge me all of those kinds of thoughts are there so these are the thoughts and I'm holding one of these I'm not good enough at this I'm not good enough at this and all my energy is going into this thought so I need to find a strategy to put it down so we're going to do an exercise now that is uh, actually I think the most useful strategy this is the one that I use the most personally and um, we're going to go through this now so what I'd like to invite you to do is to either grab your phone or a pen, a piece of pen, a paper and pen, and we're going to go through three different questions. So the starting point is to think about a thought that often grips you, that's something that says I'm not good enough at, or so I'll give you a personal example. When I was about nine, a teacher did lots of red ink on my writing. Uh, I'd written an essay and I got a story in my head that I'm no good at writing and I still I still have to work on this story I'm no good at this this is my story so I'd like you to write down think of a story that um, happens to you some negative thought something that grips you maybe it's maybe it's an imposter syndrome thought that you're uh, you don't think you are in the right job uh, or that you think you'll be found out anything like that and just write that thought down just one sentence write it down okay stage two is um to we're going to rewrite the thought but this time write down i'm having the thought that so i would write down i'm having the thought that i'm no good at writing okay and then the third part is to do the same thing with the thought but this time write down i notice that i'm having the thought that i'm no good at writing so do it write it down again i notice that i'm having the thought that 
whatever it is that you've written down for you. Okay, so we're not going to ask anybody to share their thoughts, but I'm really curious about what whether you noticed any shift as you did that, and if anyone would be willing to type into the chat any shift that you noticed um, as you went through those stages of the exercise. Did anything shift for you? And if so, what did you notice about it? Um, great, so thank you. There's a few people. Yeah, it makes the thought less believable. It does. It gives a, a feeling of distance. I don't feel as negative. Yes, yeah, so it's not so embodied. Uh, the way we talk to each other has an impact about how we view ourselves. Yes, yeah, so you're phrasing the sentence in a way that becomes less personal. Yeah. So, so this is what we're doing here is in psychologist school is we're defusing. We're unhooking from the thought. So basically what usually happens when we're having these thoughts, it becomes more objective, is that um, uh, oh, I'm going to skip over those for a minute. Oh, sorry. I'm looking for the slide. Okay, this is the slide I'm looking for. So what happens when we're having these thoughts is that they, the thought and ourselves are fused basically. So I'm no good at writing. I can feel it in my body. I can feel that. And then of course the impact of that is I don't write anything because I think, oh, I'm no good at this. Oh, I'm no good at that. But as soon as I begin to become the observer and to say, I notice that I'm having the thought that, then I can observe it and say, huh, I wonder how true that is. Somebody said it's more objective. I have a feeling of control rather than combative. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're separating ourselves from the thought. And that's that's what we want to do because as I as with the pen, the thought probably isn't probably isn't going to go away. Although after a period of time it will dissolve because I'll I'll talk a bit about that in a minute. But um, over a period of time, we just get better at unhooking it, putting it down, making it more objective, becoming the observer. Somebody said it as, it's like talking, you know, when, when we're fused with it, we're actually often being quite critical to ourselves. When we become the observer, I think we become more compassionate and we talk more as we might to a friend about the thought. So this, um, this is really what we're talking about is, is probably the most helpful thing. We want to learn to become the observer of I'm, I shouldn't be in this job, I'm not capable of it, and really just observe it and say, well, is that true? Probably not. Okay, so what can I do with that? I can just notice it, still going to be there, and I can put it down, and I can be aware of it, but not um, let it hold me. Now, the reason why it's important to do that, to become, to notice it and then put it down, is that I just want to go back to this slide, that if we notice it but keep pushing it down so if we notice it and just wish it would go away we don't listen to it we don't do anything with it it's like a ball on water it's like we're pushing it down but it keeps popping up and so what we want to do is when it pops up we're pushing it down doesn't work it just got to keep popping up we need to say oh hi here you are thought i'm no good at writing i'm going to become the observer of you so it stays on the surface, but it's got a lot less energy than when it's under the water. When it's under the water, it's gripping us, it's got energy. When it's on the surface, 
we can look at it and say, okay, there you are, that thought that I would prefer not to go away and not to be here. So um, what we're doing is basically creating a different relationship with our thoughts and observing ourselves. Now, there are lots of different strategies you can do for these. This is the, this is the one that I like the most, but um, you can uh, not sing your uh, thought to a silly song. You can notice it and go, ah, there you are again. I'm no good at writing and then sing it to happy birthday or something. You can thank your mind because actually these thoughts come out of a good intent for our minds trying to solve problems for us. We can say, thank you, mind, for that thought. It was helpful once. It's not helpful now. You can imagine it as a screensaver or popping across your screen or something. Anything that you can do, you'll have your own strategies that will help you to notice the thought and to put it down and just to kind of gently put it to one side so that it stops having the impact on you. Um, and another thing that you can do uh, in the strategy front is to understand a little bit about what's happening in your mind and to treat that differently. So this is a beautiful example from Anne Betts, who works a lot with coaches around uh, neuroscience. So she says that if we think of our minds as an orchestra, what happens is that when something triggers us into anxiety, fight, flight, freeze, negative confidence, it's like the kettlebells are making a huge noise in our head. And this is probably linked to the amygdala sending us a signal of this is dangerous. But it's like this enormous noise in our head and we become incapable almost because it's so gripping. And she said, but we've always got a conductor who can bring in the piccolo who can help us listen to the small voice of wisdom. And the wisdom voice is usually correct. Often the kettlebells are sounding a song that is based on some sort of false idea. We want to listen to our piccolo. So what we want to do is to notice, oh, I'm really caught up in this. It's going on for me. It's like the, the kettlebells. And then think, okay, so if I observe myself, what's my wise voice saying? So my wise voice in imposter syndrome, for example, might be saying, um, well, there are bits of this job that you find difficult. Fact, not fiction, but actually three quarters of this job you do really well. And so we want to listen out for that, for that voice of wisdom and sense, if you like. A couple of other things you can do. You can go into this whole idea of don't believe everything you think. So you can actually look for the facts. You can ask these questions. Is this helpful if I talk to a trusted friends? You can really think about it and observe it and say, okay, really, if I step back, notice it, let it rise up, what can I do with it to stop it being so powerful? Okay, I'm just gonna um, pause here. I'm gonna keep going. I've got a few more slides and then we'll have time for Q&A. But if you've got any questions, please do type them into the chat. So. The second kind of core strategy actually is about taking action. So if you think now about when you perhaps started in a job, perhaps it was your second job in your career. And if you think back to starting that job, how high your confidence was when you first started in that job, and then think forward a year, 18 months, and think how high your confidence was about that job, at the end of 18 months, possibly, or two years, possibly boredom is setting in, you think, oh, I can do this, I can do this. So we also know that we gain confidence by doing something a lot until we realise that we can do it really well. And 
So particularly when we start new jobs, this is when people have the most imposter syndrome because they feel like, wow, I'm really not sure I can do this because there's a lot of new stuff. It wouldn't be new if it wasn't we went in a new job. So what we're wanting to do here is to do actions to, to think about how we can act so that we can build a pattern of confidence. And this is linked also back to the neuroscience. So uh, when I was growing up, I was told that our brains didn't um, didn't develop past the age of about 25. But of course, we now know from the neuroscience that our brains are constantly evolving. And actually, we can grow new neural pathways, but we have to work on them. And but creating a neural pathway is basically doing something time and time again, literally hardwires it in our brain. So think about a new software update on your phone. The first time you use your phone or you get a new phone, the first time you use it, you're having to concentrate and, you know, how does this work? Where is this? Probably if you picked up your phone now, you'd go through several different activities without even thinking about it. And that's probably because it's literally hardwired or the pattern has become ingrained in our mind. And so at the beginning of that journey, our confidence is low. As we do it more, we get more confident. So one of the ways if you're struggling with something, so this is about maybe if, if for many people, this is a, an example sort of earlier or even sometimes later stages of career is finding the confidence to be really confident, to speak well in meetings, to perhaps bring their voice in, particularly if you're feeling in an outsider group in that, is to know that this is not going to be an overnight win, that you'll need to do it a few times and build the confidence. And so that's about taking really small steps. So maybe you, if this is the example, you feel anxious, so you think, okay, in this next meeting, I'm just going to ask a question. And you may even prepare the question based on what you know the agenda is. Then, okay, goes okay. Then maybe I'll feel a little bit less anxious, but I'm going to keep the ante up. So then I'll share an idea and so on. And so you um, you keep moving forward. Now, of course, there'll be times where you move backwards because things will not go so well. But actually what you want to do is to know that by keeping doing it, your confidence will build. It'll build it into your whole system as, ah, I know I've got this, I can do this. So it's really taking small steps forward to help you to think about how you can do it. And then the, the third and the final strategy is just to be aware of our thinking. So this is about uh, taking a positive psychology and a strengths-based view and taking time to notice the things that go right, to look for where things are happening well and to think about how we can use those. And so, you know, there are lots of strategies here, but I, I guess I would start with, think about your own CV or your LinkedIn profile and first of all, making sure and creating one that gives you a sense of pride and confidence in yourself, but also going back to that because it's a fact-based example of who you are and how you got there. So it's something that can help to keep our thinking going. It's, this is linked to the question about neurolinguistic programming earlier, that we're looking for things that are positive. So um, you will receive compliments because we know the brain is like Teflon for, comp for compliments. Uh, print them out, have a confident compliments book, put them somewhere, look at them when you notice that your thinking is getting a bit um, tired and maybe your confidence is dropping. 
I, I'm not a massive fan of affirmations. Um, so affirmations would be something like I'm really good at and uh, but I am a fan at of realistic affirmations. And so these are things like I am good enough at this or with enough preparation, I know that I'll be able to present well at that conference or back, I have enough of the necessary skills. So, so what we're doing is we're creating some affirmations that we might write down, but they have to be believable. The thing with affirmations is that our brain has to believe it. So it, it needs to be something that says, look, I'm working at getting better at this and I know I'm getting better at it. So I may not be great yet, but I know I'm getting better at it. So things that can help us on that journey. Um, I'm a massive uh, journaling person. I think that uh, journaling, so that's just writing a lot of stuff down, handwriting it, even not writing in the phone. It, we know from research it does these things. But one of the things that I know for me is it does increase my confidence because it does that uh, diffusion activity. So I might write something down that's happened and then I become the observer of it as I'm writing it down. But also it helps my confidence in a whole lot of other things because, well, just this morning actually, I was feeling a bit like, oh my goodness, I've got so much to do and I don't know what to do about these different things. So I just, I, I wrote it all down in my journal. So I'm not writing a list, I'm journaling about what's going on. And as I did that, I realized it was one thing actually that I can I can take out of it. I can postpone it. It involves some things for me. But by journaling about it, it really helped me to get back to center. A couple of other simple tactics. Um, I had a, a once had a, something that uh, ran an event, wasn't perfect, didn't go great. Um, I was heading down in a spiral of that was terrible and I'm terrible. And I just decided to do what went well, what didn't go well. And as I did that, I realized, okay, so there were some things that didn't go well, that was objectively true, but there were also a lot of things that went well. And so again, a simple strategy that just helps us. Um, and then something I was once taught about worry is that if you're worrying about something, can you do something about it? Well, yes, then go and do it, take the action. And if it's no, then find a way, like the pen, to put the worry down, to observe it and see it and put it down. It's easier said than done, but it is possible, I think, to do that. Okay, there is one more strategy, and this is really connected to us. So I'd like you to uh, stop thinking and don't think about a blue apple. Please don't think about a blue apple. Now, of course, your mind is now thinking about a blue apple because our minds go where they're taken and we and the word stop doesn't connect. So this strategy is if you're really feeling, you're feeling it, you're in a, not in a good state, you're really caught up in some low confidence, not feeling great in yourself, and um, you think, how the hell do I get out of this? I'm going to speak with my boss in, a, in half an hour. I need to feel okay. Well, I this is what I would do then. I would look to distract myself. It's a bit of an unhooking strategy, but it's going to be something that's going to just stop that thought in the short term from having so much power over me. I may not have time to notice it or do other things. And so this can be just, I mean, for me, it's putting jazz music on that just automatically brings me out of that state. Gratitude is a fantastic tool. There's some suggestion that you can't feel, uh, you can't feel other things when you're feeling grateful, you feel grateful. Um, but so those moments where you're really caught up in it, just do something that's gonna help you distract yourself. Anything, anything, you know, look at a photo of your children, well, as long as they've been 
that, that's good for you today. Um, you know, do something, anything that's going to help you to feel good in yourself that kind of helps you to snap out of it. It's a short term strategy, but it's there for us. Okay, so um, I'm coming to the end of my section. This book is the book that I most recommend. I re I've now recommended it to every single coaching client I have. I had a, a senior front office MD sent me an email last week to say, this book has changed my life. So it's, it's you, when you read it, you'll see some of the things that I've talked about today in this book. Make sure you get the new edition. He's recently uh, rewritten it. And it's all about these strategies. It's all about learning how we've got choice. We don't have to live with the struggles that we have going on in our mind and that we can uh, be different with them. We, we can learn to live differently with them. So I uh, really encourage you if you really, it's something that's a challenge for you. I've recommended this book for 10 years and every time somebody comes back to me and says that book is amazing. So really highly recommend it on this topic. So uh, I'm going to pause now to see, we've got uh, five minutes to see if there's any questions uh, and any anything that you are curious about as, as we've gone into this session. So I see there's a, a, a question in the chat, does a toxic culture fuel imposter syndrome? Yeah, so um, yes, would be the answer to that, that when we're around a lot of negativity, we internalize it and we we can really get caught up in it and then we can begin to second guess ourselves and we're not sure what's fact and fiction um if we've got a leader perhaps who's who's saying negative things to us or i've got a friend who's who's working with a colleague who's constantly just needling with little little you know undermining statements um of course it affects our confidence of course because that's a really tough gig you know we've got to uh constantly be coming back so um so the strategies for me would be this is a really good example of find a, a friend a coach or somebody you can talk to about it and ask that friend to help you to work out what's what's the situation so nothing to do with you and what to you because you want to you're on a big diffusion activity and unhooking you want to become the observer of that and to be able to see uh, that as much as you can yeah it's a great question <clears throat> wow so somebody's asked the question how can we challenge that at the workplace um Wow, that, so that's a whole that's a whole workshop in itself, I think. Um, well, the first way I think that we can challenge it is by not engaging in it. So by behaving in a way, my, my rule is that I want to come away from the end of the day feeling like I have um, behaved well myself. So when we're in a toxic culture or when things are very negative or a bit of needling, the temptation is to go to that behavior ourselves, to become a bit of a petulant child sometimes, or to actually become critical and cross. And that leaves, that means that we don't feel well in ourselves then either, because I, I, you may not, but I would go home at the end of the day regretting how I've been. And, and I want to be an adult and calm in myself. So the first thing I think is about just not buying into it. Um, and, and then I guess there's a whole lot about, um, how you ha have conversations if you can it's not always possible about the culture of the organization and how maybe there's a culture of negativity and 
and and can you move that? And it's not always possible. And I, you know, this is if it's embedded in the culture, then sometimes the best strategy is to leave because if you, you know, you can't change a whole culture. Um, look for people in the culture who don't embody that culture and create small groups of those people who, who, who are like you, who are wanting to for things to be positive and optimistic and and good. Those are some kind of simple things, but actually it's it's a very complex issue because there can be so many factors triggering that and challenging it is really tough because you don't you want to change it and yet challenging it can leave you in a position where you can become a bit of an outsider. So it's about creating groups, protecting yourself, being the positive role model and looking for people who you can talk to about it and have adult conversations about what's happening. So, um, oh, lovely. Somebody said that uh, they had a good experience challenging my boss's behavior. He thanked me for being brave. Thank you so much for sharing that because that is, is also often true. Uh, I think that people don't always know how they're impacting us. And if we have the courage to say to them, this is the impact on me of what's happening, then there's always an opportunity to change it. So thank you. That's a really great example of that. Yeah. We talk a lot about vulnerability as well these days and authenticity. And I think that's, that is spot on. Thanks Fiona for sharing that. Um, I know we are at the end. Thank you very much. I was mesmerized by what you were talking about. The few, few things that I know I've had a coach over the past few years and I know that journaling has really, really helped me, particularly channeling my positive thoughts. I think we are just so caught out. We're so hard on ourselves. We're so caught out on just uh, focusing on the negative. That's sometimes just journaling the positive and referring to it. I know for me, it does work. <laughs> so uh, another book as well that I have been reading so many times, but I, and I'm sure many people on this call have as well. That's the Michelle Obama book as well. She suffered from imposter syndrome and, and I think it's so worth the read, particularly audio was your walk in your thoughts. <laughs> and I think it's great to be out in the park listening to her. So just a great, another great book. Thank you very much for everyone who's attended. Um, it's we'll, we've recorded this session. I send it again across to you for, for you to kind of think about it again, because there's so much content in there. So again, believing in yourself, believe in yourself, because literally you got that job. So it's all really all about making sure that you, you carry on thinking that you can do it. Um, challenge your thinking also. I think that is a big thing that I come out uh, of this session with. Challenge your thinking, think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Is it the right culture for you? All that kind of thing. Be happy, ultimately. That's what we want you to be. Thank you, Jean. Any thoughts from you? Uh, no, but I just really want to encourage you. Um, make it a project. We can change this. I'm living proof. You know, I really know that I've got so much more confident and that really changes how much I do, how much I lead, how much I feel capable. So I really encourage you to see it as a project and keep working on yourself. Project me. Project me. Project us. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic week. Thank you, Jean, for, for this great Monday morning afternoon session. Um, safe trip back to Singapore. We take, take care. Thanks. Thanks.